Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ritual, Yoga, and Energy Healing. My name is Christy and I'm looking forward to leading you in this conversation today around union in yogic tradition to yoke and the relationship between union and the desire to attain consciousness and how these have common ground and a beautiful interplay and yet how traditionally and historically they've been separate and they've held separate conversations. And so before we get into that, I just want to address kind of the humanness in the room. And I have this one lovely teacher that has taught me some of what I know of yogic tradition and yoga philosophy. And she talks about history and scriptures and tradition in in a very uh, humble way and I really love to bring bring this idea about whenever I talk about tradition and whenever I teach on um, what I've learned from scriptures and such so she talks about the game of telephone or some call it Chinese whispers And it's this game where, I'm sure you know it, but children sit in a circle and the first person whispers what they want to say. And then it goes around the circle through whispers, right? And by the end, the sentence is nothing like how it started. And so in some ways, this can heavily relate to old scriptures and so specifically the Vedas I know that they were his the first historical scriptures found right and they were written on these huge organic materials these big leaves and these these barks and because the material was organic they needed to be rewritten every once in a while. And every few hundred years, I believe it was. And so they were rewritten by scribes. And so just in that um, in that understanding and in the understanding that it was mostly the guru to student relationship for a long time and most of the teachings were shared through Uh, verbal teachings and through a relationship with student and teacher and so when these scriptures were written not only were they written by a human and therefore uh, along comes the societal and the personal biases but they were also rewritten every once in a while and whether the scribes held certain beliefs or certain chapters of the scriptures were lost or if if the organic material had faded and was difficult to rewrite there are all of these different factors that could have 
altered the traditional meanings of the text, right? And not only the actual physical um, words, but also the interpretations. And I always, when I talk about this, I always think about the Bible and how many different versions there are in different traditions, right? And different uh, recollections, can I say? And so in saying this, I just want to kind of address the humanness and address the fact that these teachings hold so much truth and history is such a beautiful, beautiful doorway and teacher and uh, truth holder, right? And looking back on ancient traditions and civilizations brings a lot of nectar and a lot of value to be integrated in our day-to-day and our modern society. And so that is all true. And what is also true is that the recounting, the retelling of these histories, of these teachings can sometimes be a little bit like a game of telephone. And so I want to address this and as humbly as possible bring the perspective that I share these teachings with so much respect and reverence for them. And yet I am also human and I may have unconscious biases that um, shift the, the retelling or I may have uh, subconscious biases that omit certain truths. Taking these teachings and, and these words with, with a, a knowing that truth holds a frequency, truth holds a vibration in the body and that when something feels true, you can, you can feel it, but we have to kind of remove the maya and remove the illusion and remove all the attachments to be able to feel into our intuition and feel what is true. Because there's a difference between a vibration and a frequency of our sympathetic nervous system firing up because of previous trauma or... Uh, deep-seated beliefs and there's vibration of truth and the frequency of truth and sometimes those can get confused so we just need to really sit with the teachings sit with our emotions and and really dissect what is true for us personally and what may be true for you may be different than what's true for me okay So let's jump into this conversation, shall we? So in the Vedas, there were what they called the ashramas. And the ashramas are four stages of of life. And so the first stage was brahmacharya. And so brahmacharya means... Direct translation would kind of be non-excess, and and yet it's also this kind of studiousness. So it's it's the adolescence where you're not childbearing or anything like that as of yet. You're studying and you're um, learning kind of 
boundaries and what's too much, what's not enough, and the, the in-between there. So that's the first stage. And then the second stage is, is householder. And so in this householder stage, you bear children, you have a house, you, you're very within the world of attachment. And then in the third stage, the, that's when we start to retire and we um, give counsel to our children, we give counsel to the community. And the fourth stage is sannyasin, renouncing, becoming a renunciate and, and traveling far into the hills to, um, to attain consciousness and to um, become still and become one with, with consciousness. And so those are the four stages of the ashramas. And each stage has, has beautiful lessons. And really the ashramas are, are this format for how we are all living. And we're not on this linear discovery of the ashramas but we we can be a little more non-linear a little more uh, transient with these stages and yet for most of us in a very fluid sense we do follow that and yet in the yoga sutras of patanjali there is this conversation about consciousness right and attaining consciousness and going through the eight-limbed eight path of yoga, right, to attain consciousness. And so there is this, this conversation between are we focusing on attaining consciousness or are we focusing on um, union, on becoming equanimous? <laughs> There's that word again. Um, are we looking to be centered and to live fully in, through the ashramas, right? And so most of us listening to this podcast, I could say all of us, are, are living in the world of ashramas. And there were kind of two paths as, as a yogi in, in ancient times. There was the, um, the ability to be a sannyasin and to renounce everything very early on in life and to be a sannyasin you're a sannyasin and you travel from village to village the village feeds you and you are searching for for consciousness you may renounce into a cave and meditate there for a long time and there was a succinct decision of i am renouncing all worldly attachments and so many, many people still do this. In India, there's a group called the sadhus that are renunciates, that are sannyasins. And the sadhus specifically practice tapas to attain consciousness, but that's a, another conversation. This seeking as a sannyasin, even the Buddha for a while, renounced everything and went and lived off of one mustard seed a day right and he came back after 
Um, I'm not sure how long, actually, but he came back from, from this journey as, as a renunciate. He came back and that's when he found the middle ground, right? And so this middle ground is understanding that to live in the world and to, to live in the world, we can, we can attain consciousness, but it is almost when the idea of union was, was birthed in, in a sense. And that is not a directly traditional um, translation. That is, that is my personal thoughts on it. But there was this time when everyone was running off into the forest and becoming sannyasins and renouncing everything to attain consciousness. And yet that was not living in the world. Right? That was trying to attain consciousness. And when, when you're trying to attain consciousness in this sannyasin way, you renounce worldly attachments, with, which also renounces things like your body, things like your family, all of those really worldly things. And so most of us are not in this sannyasin lifestyle. We have chosen the householder lifestyle, the ashrama's lifestyle. And so in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, they talk about, they don't really talk about union. And now yoga is mainly widespread known as a way of understanding union, of, of bringing together mind, body, and spirit, right? And soul. And Traditionally, in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and for sannyasins, for the attainment of consciousness, those are not synonymous. Union was not synonymous with attaining consciousness because attaining consciousness the quickest way was through the journey of the sannyasin, was through the journey of renouncing at all worldly, um, worldly things, right? which includes the body, which includes the mind. It's t just taking the, the path of spirit. And so that is an absolute valued path. And, and there is that. And then there is the path that most of us are on, and that's the path of the ashramas. And the understanding now of union and how consciousness can still occur within union but it is not this linear progression i hope this is landing so this union is this innate wholeness and when we're living in society and we're living through the the cycle of the ashramas we are within the world and so we live within a world of attachments and we live in a world of maya of illusion and so to attain consciousness in this world of attachments and this world of of um, the gunas rajas tamas and sattva to 
to live in this world with with such polarity and and different uh, attachments pulling us each way it is more difficult to attain consciousness because there is more um, within our scope being whole and complete and balanced and in a steady center is more difficult because there is more conversation from the gunas and there's more illusion from maya in our immediate present moment right and so this living as a householder does not mean not attaining consciousness but it means um, understanding consciousness in a different way and that's when I believe this idea of union was birthed this union of when we're living in the world to receive moments of consciousness and to receive moments of clarity and of wholeness and oneness with the divine we need to integrate and accept all of these different fragmented aspects of ourselves and all of these different and fragmented aspects of our our world and our attachments this journey then doesn't become about attaining consciousness or some time in the near future you know practicing so well that we we've got it you know we've done so much personal practice through our yoga and through the practices to attain consciousness through our meditation, through our breath work, through the eight limbs of yoga, that that we've got it. You know, we're going to live in this um, conscious state all the time and we will um, consistently be this really centered and uh, equanimous person. That's not what this means. That's often the, the impression that we get going into the yoga world. That was the impression I got, that if I did all of these steps perfectly, you know, I would be able to live in this world consciously 100% of the time. And once again, that is maya. That is the illusion. If we actually look at the path of the sannyasin, if they follow the eight path limb or eight limbed path of yoga set out in the yoga sutras of patanjali yes they may attain samadhi they may attain consciousness but most of the time they will leave their bodies and so then they will die and they will no longer be in this earthly plane in this world and that's absolutely normal and transient and and perfect and yet for those of us living in this world and who who don't want to to transition at this time the question is how can we use these teachings and how can we use this knowledge to live in a more sattvic way in a more balanced and a more equanimous way
wanting to attain consciousness is not a linear path. It's a dropping into the moment and it's an understanding that if we follow the yamas and niyamas, if we meditate every day, if we do our pranayama, if we do our asana, if we 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 reach concentration and and all of these different stages of the eight-limbed path. If we do all those things, we think, oh, then I won't suffer. And yet that is not the, the reason why we do, do the practices. So it's not a means to an end. We don't do them in a linear progression. In doing these practices, what we do is we, we continue to come back to this centered, whole, and divine place within us. And we live there more of the time. And so then we're more in this centered, grounded uh, plane of living in this world, being an active member of this world, in a sattvic way, in a peaceful and harmonious way, right? So that when suffering does arise, yeah, we might suffer. And yet we hold this divine equanimity within us that we can move from. And then when we experience moments of consciousness, it's this deep remembrance of our identity as God. So I hope this is all landing. When I think of this, uh, this kind of merging of, of union, right? I think of, of the cross. And this is actually a, an image that my aunt, my auntie gave me. And I love it so much. And so it's this, this beautiful representation of the cross and of, of Jesus on the cross, right? And um, Jesus was a very sattvic being, right? Really bringing this harmonious uh, expression of love. And so this visual of the cross, you've got the feet on the earth and then the crown reaching up towards the cosmos, towards consciousness. And so if we see equanimity as, as the earth energy, the soul energy moving up, and then the spirit energy um, descending, and then both meeting at the heart, and then we meet at the heart, and this heart is love. And so both those energies meet together at the center and then our arms reach out to the world around us with love. And so that's the image of, of this, uh, I'm, quote, I'm putting quote marks, but this attainment of consciousness in our current society. Right, in our current uh, worldly way of living. This is my best um, understanding of how it all comes together. 
right? And then when we're living in that equanimous state where, where spirit and, and soul are merging at the heart and we're extending through love in a sattvic, harmonious way, that is when we, we can truly sit in compassion with others. And then we can touch more hearts and bring a more collective sattvic living. And it is only when we can all collectively move together through that, that holy union that we can all together ascend to, to new levels of consciousness. And so it's all good and well to, to become a renunciate and go in the forest and ascend to consciousness on your own. And yet it is another thing entirely to live in such equanimity, to really um, work with practices, to, to live in love. It's only when we have a collective understanding of this equanimity and a collective movement towards sattvic living that we ascend to a new stage of the yugas. And so the yugas in yoga philosophy are these four different stages. These four, it's a, it's a cycle. And so if you've heard of the dark ages, that's Kali Yuga. Um, and then there's Dvapara Yuga, and there's Treta Yuga, and then there's Satya Yuga. So these are all different kind of stages of, of collective consciousness, right? And so it's only when we collectively, um, compassionately come together in this sattvic living that we ascend to this next stage. It is widely debated which stage we're in. Some think we're in Kali Yuga, but I believe we're in Dvapara Yuga. And it's only, only when we can really collectively ascend that we move into a more um, conscious and harmonious way of life. And so that's the, that's the historical and the theological um, reason for doing the work. And yet for just our worldly living in this world, the reason for doing the work is to, to feel more har harmony and to feel more steady and balanced, right? So that when things happen, and they will happen. By doing the work, you don't completely um, remove the possibility of suffering. That is not, that is just not how we live in this world of worldly attachment. But it's when we can become more rooted and centered and be able to move towards situations with more grace and more love. Okay, 
I know that was a lot of ideas at once and a lot of things to sit with. And so I think I'm going to leave you with that contemplation, shall I say, this week. And if you have any questions or would like to chat and continue the conversation, then feel free to email me or find a way to connect with me. Thank you for being in this conversation with me and for being here. The wild in me honors the wilderness within you. Namaste.